1: Hello, and welcome to today's episode, which is titled The 9-11 Family Novel. And our guest today is Jay Shilak. Jay, would you mind introducing yourself?
0: Yeah, uh, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, I'm Jay Shilak, and I'm a PhD candidate at UNC Greensboro, where I'm currently writing my dissertation, which is about, as the title suggests, 9-11 and the family, how the event itself Orient or reorients the family structure itself.
1: Okay, so I guess you have already started answering the question, what the heck is the 9-11 family novel?
0: So at its most basic, the 9-11 family novel is a novel that's about 9-11's effects on the family. How the event and its aftershoots, the war on terror, the Iraq war, the refugee crisis, all of that, fundamentally shaped the family within the domestic sphere. So what was once the Protected by the walls of home is now endangered. But we can complicate this idea if we expand the definition of family. For instance, in my dissertation, I look at the family within a corporate setting in The re- Reluctant Fundamentalist to show how the war and terror ideology works to remove the protagonist of that novel from the corporate family. So the 9 11 family novel doesn't necessarily find footing in the heteronormative, heteropatriarchal conceptions of family. We can go beyond the white. Uh, kind of picket fence family and see brown conceptions of family. We could see Asian American conceptions of family and how all of those are very nuanced and different. I think too that we should generally have a broader understanding of what family looks like. We consider chosen family and uh, the nuclear family as a kind of, as of course, queer theorists have been doing this forever, but we can see different conceptions or we should see different conceptions of uh, family in that way. Um, I think novels as a form also fit well here because they have the capacity to do so much with length and form and all that stuff. I guess any literary form could do that, but the novel is um, compelling to me in particular because people always talk about how it's going to go away, uh, but it never does. So we always see people like post Twitter threads or think pieces or whatever about how the novel is ending the book, print culture is dying, whatever. We've been talking about it for years, but I don't that it's dying yet right like we still have the new york Times bestseller list we still go to bookstores we still will we still see all that i think what happens instead is we're seeing a the novel take different shapes right we're seeing yeah. it on ebooks we're seeing it in um audiobooks are having a resurgence right so we see it change in that way and i think that reflects family in a really interesting way because families also always change people are um, telling to be a bit gruesome families are always losing members they're gaining members somebody's always dying someone's always being born so we're always in this vacillation of growth or uh, constriction and yeah that's pretty much what that's a very long way just of explaining how how 9-11 itself functions or how the family functions within these contemporary novels
1: so if I'm understanding you correctly you are seeing sort of separate thematic strands one of course is the historical event of 9-11 and its aftermath and how it sort of repercusses through global history. The other is the changing form of the family. Mm-hmm. And, of course, and what's really interesting, uh, because when I first, actually, I haven't talked to you about your work before, so this is. but when I sort of encountered your work, I didn't think that you were also working with print culture. That's really, really cool. And um, I completely agree with you. Like, print culture is something that kind of basks in the, continual dying so that that's you know it's, it's it's something that celebrates this you know the end is nigh moment
0: right I, that that's a new thing in my research and I was working on this chapter that I'm writing right now about extremely loud and incredibly close in netherland and all of a sudden I was like why the hell are we talking about why is it the post nine eleven novel what about this genre this form this genre whatever you want to call it and those terms of course are contested Why do we gravitate towards that? And I think it has, and I haven't really pieced it all together, but I think it has something to do with the ephemeral state of novels themselves, where we always talk about their ephemerality, rather. Um, So I I still have to figure all that out. But I think it's an exciting part of my research that I never anticipated happening.
1: So, you know, before we move on, I think uh, it'll be good to just ask you, what are some of the novels that you're working on?
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm in the process of moving, so all of my stuff is in boxes still. And I usually keep all the books that I write about on a stack next to my workspace. But I look at all kinds of stuff. So it goes. One of the really cool things about the 9/11 novel, and I'll talk about this in a second, is how it's it could be global in every capacity, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be American. Something that so uh, you can do the Reluctant Fundamentalist by Mohsen Hamid, any of his works really. Exit West. You have the the kind of classic 9/11 novel. Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close by uh, Jonathan Safran Foer, Falling Man by Don DeLillo, Claire Massoud's The Emperor's Children, Camilla Shamsi's Burnt Shadows, Borges the Cockpoor's Suns and Other Flammable Objects.
1: So let me ask you my second question, which is, mm-hmm. how do we use the 9 11 family novel.
0: We use it plainly to understand the effects of political violence as constructive elements in our personal relationships, in our relationships to home, uh, in our relationship to nation, to each other. Richard Gray says that after the attacks, writers depended on what they knew. So we see a resurgence of the familiar tropes in fiction, family, trauma, etc. All of that, in his words, is domesticated, where it's literally brought into the home. How we use it is imperative because the 9-11 family novel is so broad, as I mentioned earlier. It has the capacity to to reveal the intimate consequences of political violence. So we can use this as a way to understand the larger implications of that violence, and not just in relation to 9-11 or in in an American context. We can go beyond the globe and say, okay, if we're looking at the family in, say, Pakistan or India or Iran or wherever, somewhere beyond America, we can then begin to see how that political violence, America's political violence on another nation kind of unravels familial setups and kinship structures, right? So if, for example, we compare two novels that are set in different spots in Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, the dad, the patriarchal figure Thomas dies in the attacks, and it is a very domestic setting in that it doesn't leave new york city it is very much about the city itself it is concerned with america's america grappling with the trauma of 9-11 if we go to camilla shamsi's burnt shadows which takes place all over the globe in new york pakistan japan all kinds of places if we look at that then we'll see that okay the family structure certainly is at risk here because of 9-11, but it's the other side of the coin, right? It's American exceptionalism that is going to destroy the family. So the 9-11 novel, family novel, allows us to see the different valences in the way in which political violence, both by America as victim and by America as arbiter of violence, kind of unmakes these intimate uh, systems that we depend on in our lives. We go beyond the shores of America to, say, the Middle East, for example, and the, the 9-11 novel, family novel shows us what U.S. empire looks like and how that imperial endeavor manifests in different ways around, abroad than it does here. So tied up in the family novel is a question of home and place and how all of those things are kind of conflated together when we bring in violence and the different kinds of projects that nations use to enact power or engage in power.
1: Uh, this is kind of a specific question, I guess, but follow up yep. to the question that I asked. Let's let's talk about the you know American family a bit, and if you look at the American mm-hmm. family as it is being portrayed in you know contemporary literature and also TV shows actually and movies, yeah. uh, do you see this kind of you know long shadow of nine eleven uh, that is not always sort of articulated but it's kind of felt?
0: I'm thinking of so Zadie Smith came to campus two years ago. I forgot. Twenty twenty happened for a second. In twenty nineteen, she came to she came to campus and said it was the day before Game of Thrones was uh, premiering its finale, and she said that the towers falling in the classic scene where Daenerys kind of spoiler uh, kind of destroys one of the cities, the towers falling echo nine eleven. So we're seeing how all of that kind of manifests in different ways in pop culture, right? As to your question, in the not in the family, we see that there is a kind of uh, anxiety about uh, 9-11 and the way it's going to impact the, the, the family structure and the integrity of our kinships. So for example, I'm thinking of a recent movie, uh, Lady Bird by Greta Gerwig. It is not stated that 9-11 is the kind of vector in that movie. Instead, it focuses on the mother-daughter relationship but if you look at the background for a moment, when there's an integral scene where everyone is fighting in the living room and on the TV is 9 11, and you see this moment where or you realize that, okay, there is an anxiety about what 9 11 did to the American psyche, to the American consciousness, that is. Front and center, just in a subtle way, right? So we see how that is kind of playing into the mother's overbearing relationship with her daughter and her in her, her desire for her for Lady Bird to stay within the re- her own reaches, right? To not go to college far away, especially New York City, and sp- particularly because of that anxiety, that post nine eleven anxiety. That we see all over the place. Another kind of famous example here is the beginning of Mad Men. Every um, the the what is it called? The opening credits, where Don is falling from the tower. You have plenty of scholarship about this. Um, Amy Pazorsky talks about it. Tom Juno talks about this, where the creators of the show deliberately make Don fall from the um, the tower of his Manhattan high rise, and he falls past his vices. So we see him fall past alcohol. We see him pat, fall past these uh, these images of the white picket fence family that he is going completely beyond, right? So we see from the very first episode of Mad Men that he's a, a serial adulterer and all of these things. So 9-11 manifests in contemporary American pop culture, uh, literature, TV, movies, whatever, in a way that is not as overt as it used to be, but it is subtle in this way that shows that, or that signals to me at least, that it is a permanent historical record that will likely never be erased right we're never going to get past that trauma of 911 kind of destroying the kind of economic center of New York City but also the two, almost 3000 people who who were killed there that's 3000 families almost disrupted right so we see it in those subtle ways and i think it, i i would argue that we need to do more scholarship on mm-hmm. that the understated the kind of specter of 911 is a fruitful endeavor for study i think
1: how will the 911 family novel save the world
0: I think in exposing the ways political violence violates the sanctity of home and intimacies, uh, we can turn, in turn, find ways of stopping it or curbing the blow. Now, I don't want to suggest that literature can fix globally systemic issues like white supremacy and its progeny, colonialism and whatnot. But I do think reading these novels will cultivate empathy and help create responsible citizens of the world. I hate how hokey and lame that sounds, but I I think it's true. There's these are dark times and we we turn to art for light and the 9-11 family novel can illuminate a way towards a kinder global community in a way that.
1: Yeah. And sometimes we need big, broad emotions lit up.
0: I'm just thinking of 2020, how awful it was and how many, uh, one of the things that you routinely hear about with the COVID crisis is the, the ways families are reeling in shock with the, not only the rapidity of the the disease itself, but also like the suddenness of it, or the kind of trauma and the violence of it itself. And if we look at these novels that focus on family, we can see what that conception, these different conceptions of family, mean to other p- different people, right? And I think that's a necessary thing. I think it is if if we focus on our loved ones, or what our loved ones mean to us, we can be kinder to ourselves, to our family members, and to each other. I, it sounds, again, hokey and kind of like cheesy, but I I don't know, I tend to fall towards that anyway. No,
1: but you know, at the end of the day, I think we all we all sort of, we would li- like to live in a world where the the presence of these cardinal emotions are very apparent. So it's, yeah. I, don't, I don't think it's a bad idea to sort of you know, talk about them in scholarship as well.
0: I mean, that's one of the things that I think scholarship is missing sometimes. Is like, okay, but let's look at the real world implications of this. Like, what can we? How can we change people through our scholarship? That is the kind of response. What is our responsibility as literary scholars if we are going to talk about these very serious things? Like, okay, what do we want out of this? And that's why this is such a good question. Is it forces us to think about not only our position as scholars, but also our the position that. Our scholarship takes in the in academia. Like what what are the what is the responsibility I hold in being a literary scholar right now? When it feels like literary scholarship is the last thing we should think about, right? And it forces us to be or encourages us to be kinder scholars, kinder, uh, or to I don't know how to explain it. I I do think that there is a responsibility we have as scholars, as people in academia, the to teach. Each other and our students, what it means to be a responsible person, a responsible citizen, citizen who puts forward first and foremost empathy and uh, kindness.
1: I think constituencies of people who are not charged by the public to be with being responsible for saving the society are one of the constituencies which are doing sort of work behind the scenes in doing the same. Uh, so uh, I, I completely agree with you, and you know those are words to take to heart and. What to take with us beyond the episode thank you so much Jay.
0: thank you so much for having me i appreciate it this is great and thank you for listening to high theory
1: if you like our podcast please review and subscribe on spotify itunes patreon or wherever you get your podcast fix
0: sharonik bosu manages our social media presence owen quinn composes our theme music and kim adams and sharonik bosu edit our audio
1: You can also find us at hightheory.net.
0: We hope you have a highly theoretical day.